0: Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Now, we're getting ready to move into a very interesting portion of Scripture. And so let's read through it, and we're going to lay the foundation for it today and tonight, and then, Lord willing, next Sunday we'll, we'll get into it. But let's start reading Galatians chapter 4. Let's start reading in verse 19. My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. It isn't Have you ever gotten a letter and you read something or an email? Um, young people, a letter, that's on paper, um, usually longer than 40 characters. and uh, it, um, Have you ever gotten a letter, though, and the tone of it just didn't sound right to you? And then you talk to him, and that's not what was intended. And the apostle, that, that's what he says. You know, I'm writing to you, but I want to I be able to change my voice. I want to be able to emphasize what's going on here. Look at verse 21. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he, wa, but he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the, the free woman was by promise. Now, this starts to get into a pretty... If you don't know your Bible, then this passage right here might be very confusing to you. But verse 23, But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory, For these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which engendereth to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry, Thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son... For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to understand uh, this text today, or at least the introduction to it. And uh, Lord, I pray that you'll give us your mind. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as you're reading this this passage of Scripture, there's some harsh language, isn't there? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. Get, Get rid of that. It's an interesting passage and we're not going to deal with that at all this week. That's next week. Let's go back to verse 19. (laughs) That actually was my sermon for this morning. And last night as I was reading through and thinking about it, I said, you know, I can't go past this verse. So let's look at this verse because this really is the foundation for what he's about to teach. Look at verse 19. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Until Christ be formed in you. I want to speak to you today on that subject. Christ in you. Until Christ be formed in you. So, remember what our foundation is, that salvation is of grace, not of works. Is that right? But our Christian life is of faith and is of grace, not of works, not of the flesh. You can't live for God in your own strength. You'll fail. You'll fall. We've got to do it through the power of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. So the first thing that I want to look at, look at the way that Paul addresses them. He says, my little children, my little children. Now we're going to be all over the Bible today tracking down how to understand verse 19. So have your Bibles handy. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Why does he call them little children? The apostle John calls uses that same phrase, my little children. All right. Look at verse 15. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 15. Um, you know, look at verse 14 again. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons I warn you. For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, ye have not, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. All right, so what's he saying here? You have a lot of instructors, and as your spiritual father, what does that mean? He led them to Christ. It's not, he's not their priest, amen? The Bible says, call no man on earth your father. He was there, the one who led them to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, and he cared about them. So they're his sons in the faith. In verse fourteen, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons I warn you. It's an interesting verse. He had a special love for them, as he would for his own children. These churches were his family. Do you see that? He would go and he didn't get married. He he gave his life to Jesus Christ and to these churches, because he knew that he was going to die. He knew that he was going to be taken out of this world uh, as a martyr. And so he didn't get married. And so his family were these people that he would influence in the church. And, you know, as your pastor, I know you all and your children much better than I know my nieces and nephews, my own flesh and blood. I'm with you much more than I'm with them. Why? Because we've chosen to come to Sydney, Ohio and minister here. So you are, this, we, are, we are a family together, aren't we, in this local church? And that's scriptural. We are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. There are people here that I've led to the Lord or had a part in your salvation. There are people here who uh, you have led other people in this room to the Lord. Um, Carrie, I think she's downstairs, but Carrie was led to the Lord by Brent. That's a wonderful thing. So he's not only... How weird is this? He is her husband and her father. (laughs) Spiritually. Amen? Amen? And that's the, that's the language of Scripture. It's a really... He was thinking, it was, no, I almost said West Virginia, but I wouldn't say that. Um, it's really interesting to see the way the Bible describes this. And so when he says, my little children, you start to get some characteristics of what a godly father would do. We won't turn there, but let me read to you Second Timothy 1.2. It says, To Timothy, my dearly beloved son... Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our and Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, this was more than a job. And so I wonder, I want to ask you, and this is this will tie into next week and we'll get into it more carefully. But is your ministry to other Christians, is it just duty? Is it only responsibility? Or do you have a genuine love for the people? that God has called you to minister to. Isn't that interesting? We've got to think about these things. How are we going to minister? The Apostle Paul said, my little children. This was more than a task to complete and then move on. So what is a spiritual father going to do? Go to 1 John with me. 1 John. And we get an understanding here. 1 John chapter 2. We're going to get an understanding through First John, and we're not even going to look at every reference where he uses this phrase, but we're going to get an understanding of how are we to instruct. What, what, if you love them as spiritual children, how are we going to instruct them? So this will be valuable for any Sunday school teacher, anyone who's working in junior church, anyone who's in our discipleship ministry, anyone who is being discipled, and then especially for parents. How are parents... What should parents do? Well, we've already seen you're going to warn your kids. You're going to warn them. And how many of you have been warned this way? You do that one more time. I brought you into this world. I can take you out. That's one kind of warning. But we need to warn them uh, on many different levels, all right? And we could go into some examples, but we'll let the Scriptures do it. Look at what it says. We're in First John chapter 2 and verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin... Not. So what's the first thing that a spiritual father wants to teach his children? Don't sin. Got to teach you not to sin. Do you know when that starts? That starts with Nathan and Sean and Chloe. I think she's five months old now. And she already has her own opinions. Right? So what do you do? You begin instructing them. You know, you're changing the diaper. And how many of you ever experienced this? You men probably never had. But you ladies who would be changing a diaper... All the ladies said, you guys change those diapers. Now, look, you're changing the diaper, and the baby starts to throw a fit. You're helping them, and they're throwing a fit. So what do you do? You scold them. No, no. I guess Shauna did that to Chloe a while back, and she hadn't done it before. And Chloe's face just, just hated it. You know, that's, that's the beginning of instruction. They get a little bit older, and then you, you give them a little pop on the leg, and it's some discomfort. So they understand that bad behavior brings discomfort. We didn't want our children to scream and squeal. I, I, I can't stand screaming children. It hurts my ears. And it's my house. It's not the little rug rat's house. It's my house. If that kid wants to live in my house, he's not going to scream. Amen? Amen? So we had this little thing. And when they would squeal, squealer, no, no. No, no. Might take a little pop. You know what? They stopped squealing. I still have to remind Lydia of that periodically. But, <laughs> it, they, but they stopped. What am I doing? I'm, I'm beginning to teach them acceptable behavior and unacceptable behavior. Now, i got to tell you, if your kids get to be a year old, two years old, three years old, and you can't go out to eat because your children will not obey you, you are teaching them to sin. If you can't put your kids in the nursery because at two or three years old, they can't be put down or they can't follow instructions, you are teaching them to sin. Now, do you all understand that? I'm going to deal with this. We're, we're doing our prep, our preparedness uh, uh seminar, and one of the things in preparedness we need to be careful of is we need to train our children, because if something bad happens, your children need to know how to respond to you immediately so that they don't die, right? Don't run that way. Come back to me. How many of you have ever seen a child running out to the street, and you call to them, and it's a game. You call to them. They're going to run away from you more. You gotta, you gotta, that's instruction, that has to happen. Amen? See, I would teach my children, when I, call, when I call your name, you run to me. That's instruction. I'm teaching them. Why? Because it's my responsibility to care for them. We're going to see that here in the text in a second. So, my little children, as I am instructing my children, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to teach them not to sin. Now, I teach them not to sin through what I say and what I do. I try to live and model a godly, faithful holy life before them. Amen. But here's the deal. What does God expect of us? God expects immediate obedience the first time. Would you all agree with that? Then that's what we ought to expect from our children. And see, when the Bible talks about it here, it's my little children. And God is described as our father. And so you as fathers, you are the picture of God to that little child When that child understands who God is, they think of you because of the word father. Is that right? Now listen, in our culture, that can become hard because now we start describing what a godly father is, and we have so many people in our culture who, are these young ladies whose their father didn't treat them properly. We have dads who are more interested in fishing or more interested in golf, more interested in their job than they were in their children, and they don't understand what a loving father actually is. Or we have a culture where the mother is the head of the home and the mother rules the roost and mom sets everything up and then we wonder why people go into a faith where the key relationship is with a woman as opposed to the father and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Is is this connecting with you? Are you seeing what happens? And so we have to understand as a father, as a parent, we are teaching our little children how not to sin. And that starts to get down to some specific things, some specific things. So we're going to teach our children, no, you don't watch this. No, we're not going to buy those toys. No, we're not going to put that poster on the wall. No, you're not going to that concert. No, you're not going to wear that. No, we go to church on Sunday. Yes, I understand all the other kids are doing this on Sunday. No, we're at church. On Sunday, This is the Lord's Day. We give it to the Lord. We're not going to sin by forsaking the assembling of ourselves together because it's the Lord's house. This is my little children. I'm going to teach you that you sin not. Why? Why does he need to do that? Well, look at what it says. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He paid for our sins. See verse 2? And He is the propitiation. What is that? That's a satisfactory payment. Because He died on the cross, everybody in the world can be saved. When Jesus died on the cross, we were rendered savable. And it says, And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. If you have no desire to be obedient to the Word of God, you need to check out whether or not you're saved. If you have no desire to submit to the Scriptures, you need to check whether or not you are actually a son of God. Is that a fair statement? How many of you think that's a fair statement? That's how we know that we're a son of God, that we keep His commandments. Does that mean we're perfect? No. It just said, when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Nobody's perfect. No one is sinless. Look with me at chapter 2 and verse... 18, little children, it is the last time, and as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. All right? So what else do we do? We warn somebody that loves the people of God, who is trying to influence them for the Lord. What are we going to do? We're going to warn you that this world is full of people that hate Jesus Christ. They are... Antichrist. There is one Antichrist to come. You all agree with that? Jesus Christ is going to come back and there is going to be a religious leader that hates Jesus Christ and he will establish a religious system in this world to draw people away from Jesus Christ. That's what's going to happen. Is that right? Do you all believe that's going to happen? But the Bible says that that spirit of Antichrist is already at work in this world. So we need to be able to teach our children. We need to teach them, look, There are false religions in this world. Everybody who says they are religious or a Christian, they are not here to help you. They may be here to draw you away from Jesus Christ. What are we teaching our children? Discernment. We're teaching them discernment. At our house, we have conversations with our children about true doctrine and false doctrine, about true ideas and false ideas. Capitalism comes from God. Socialism comes from Satan. Amen? We need to teach our children these ideas, things that will draw you away. Because that whole idea of socialism, that's the whole concept behind a universal gospel, behind universal salvation. Everybody's going to get saved. God wants everybody to go to heaven, so everybody's going to go to heaven. That is not true. Amen? Amen. Uh, What is the capitalism of Scripture? Jesus Christ has all the capital. We don't have any of it. If we're going to get it, it's going to have to be a gift. You can't earn it. He's going to have to give it to you. Amen? And so these are concepts that we need to discuss and protect our children. Antichrist. Antichrist. Do you understand that this entire world is antichrist? How many of you know that? This entire world system, all that is in the world, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. It's not of God. That's, that's what the Bible says. All right? Um, and it says it right here in verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. What's the will of God? It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So what is it that we need to teach our children? That they need to be saved. Parents, have you had this discussion with your children about their eternal salvation? Or are you waiting for the pastor or the Sunday school teacher? Are you waiting for the youth director? Have you personally had the conversation with your children about whether or not they are saved? Is this a conversation that you regularly have where you talk about their faith, about their walk with the Lord, about their understanding of the Scriptures? This is what spiritual leadership is about. All right? Let's look at the next one. Look at verse 28. And now, little children, abide in Him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence in him and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So what, what are we going to teach then? What does what my little children abide in him? Walk with Christ. That's what the whole book of Galatians is about. We're going to look at that in a second. The book of Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Abide in Christ. How many of you believe Jesus Christ could come back at any time? How many of you really believe that? He could come back today before this service is over. Do you really believe that? Abide in Him then. Because when He comes back, I don't want to be ashamed. How many of you would like for Jesus Christ to come back when you're doing something you know you're not supposed to do? Would that be a bummer? Any time. How many of you have ever... My dad would say, clean the garage. You boys, clean the garage. We had a shop. He had a furniture repair business. Uh, That's how he would support the family. And so my brother and I would work in the shop, and he'd tell us, clean the shop. Well, you know, what would we do? We'd go outside and play ball, shoot the bow, go fishing, whatever. And then Dad's coming home at 5 o'clock. What happens at 4 o'clock? Dad's coming home. Man, it's amazing how fast you can work when you know Dad's coming home and he has a really long belt. That's the truth. It's the truth. What were we doing? He's coming. We know he's coming. There's a deadline to get the work done. Let's get it done right. That's the way that we were raised. Now, he wasn't going to beat us every time, just sometimes. So this, that was a warning that we, he gave us. Now, look, all people's mercy are going, oh, do the work. You don't have to worry about it. Then look at verse chapter 3 and verse 7. Little children. Let no man, what's it say? He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Don't what what is a loving father? What is a loving parent going to teach their children? What is a loving pastor going to teach his people? Don't be deceived. Here's how you know somebody is righteous, if they do righteousness. Amen? So when we look at the world, and we look at the wickedness of the world, we know that's not where righteousness is. Where is righteousness? Well, it ought to be in our homes. Amen? It ought to be in our lives, and it certainly ought to be at Grace Baptist Church. We ought to be a righteous, a righteous people. Then, look at what it says in verse 18, chapter 3 and verse 18. My little children... Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. We demonstrate our love for the Word of God and for each other, not just by what we say, but by what we do. But that's got to be in truth, in truth. So if someone, let's say that um, Chad here is teaching a class, and I find that he is teaching something that is not true. Well, a lot of people would say, well, he's doing his best. He's trying to serve the Lord. If I love him, I'll let him make his own mistakes. No, no. See, if I love him, I'll love him in deed and in truth. So I'll come and help him with the scriptures. I'll help him with the scriptures. Hey, look, I heard that you were teaching this. Let me show you from the Bible why that's not the right way to teach it. Now, here's the deal. Chad would never intentionally teach something false. He has a love for the truth. So what's he going to do? He's going to love it when he receives godly instruction and correction from the Word of God. If you can't receive godly instruction from the Word of God, maybe you have the spirit of Antichrist, not the spirit of Christ. You have a spirit of rebellion, not a spirit of submission to the Word of God. Now, can saved people have a spirit of rebellion? Not a a demonic spirit, but a personal spirit of rebellion? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. How many of you would say that your natural gift is rebellion? (laughs) Let's put it this way. How many of you, honestly, you would say you really don't like to be told what to do? Would you raise your hand? That's your nature. Look at this. So, and, and everybody, I know pretty much everybody that raised their hand, and I know that you're saved. You've told me, you've expressed a personal relationship with Christ. So, what do you need to do? You need to submit to the Word of God, not to your flesh, not to your nature. Receive the instruction in love. Now, we could go through so many more verses that identify little children and what to do with them. But let's go and let's finish it up this way. Go to First Thessalonians chapter 2. Is it too warm in here? How many of you would say it's too warm? I agree. Can we? Can you guys help me there? Here's how I know because many of you are falling asleep. I can always tell when it's too warm because you're falling asleep. All right. And some of you that are always cold, you guys need to bring sleeping bags or something. I don't know what to, I don't know what to say. Thelma brings her sleeping bag, right? Thelma, isn't that right? You you got your parka, that's right. Amen. We love Thelma. She needs a Snickers bar. All right. My father-in-law was on this diet with no sugar, and he was always cold. So that's what I always tell him, have a Snickers bar. You'll warm up. You know. All right. Now, First Thessalonians. Chapter 2. Now we're back to the Apostle Paul. And it's so interesting, the difference in the writing. God used the personalities of John, the beloved, and then the Apostle Paul, the logical doctrinal thinker, and used the same language, little children. And so John resonates with many of us, which all agree with that, that that personal love that John exhibits and demonstrates, that resonates with us. But John's not the one that God used to write to the churches. That's the Apostle Paul. So now we understand the heart for what we're supposed to do through John, and we understand the truth of what we're supposed to do through Paul. And let's look at how Paul presented this material to the people. Look at verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, "...because when you received the word of God which ye he heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe." So what will a spiritual father seek to accomplish in his children? Well, first, he's going to speak the word of God to them. Is that right? So when someone asks you a question, when your children ask you a question, well, the Bible says this. The Bible says this. Someone asked me this question. This week, They said, do you think the average person at Grace Baptist Church would know the Bible well enough to know where, and I can't remember the story that he said, but let's say where uh, the story of Jonah and the whale is. Would they be able to know where, where that is in the Bible? Or David and Goliath, do you know the Bible well enough to know where David slays Goliath? Do you have that rudimentary, basic understanding of the Word of God? Now, my only answer to that was, well, it depends on whether they've been reading the Bible or not. The particular story that he identified, I don't think I preached on that story or talked about that story yet. But all of us are supposed to be in the Word of God ourselves. Amen? Amen? And then when we come here, we're going to teach you the Word of God on a regular basis. We're going to go through individual verses, but there's a lot of verses in the Bible. It's going to be years before we get to them all, right? You've got to be doing that on your own. And so what is my job? My job as the pastor is to help instill in you a desire for the word of God. How am I going to do that? By speaking the word of God to you. I want to prick your curiosity. I want to pique your curiosity through the word of God. So I'm going to here and we're not going to give you a bunch of stories. It's all about the Bible when we come here. Amen. That's what we're trying to accomplish. So a spiritual father will speak the word of God to them and then look at what it says in verse 13 again. At the end of the verse, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So my desire is for the word of God to work effectually in you. I want to see you changed by the word of God. It's so exciting when that happens. Now, here's the deal. Young people, at some point, this has to be your faith, not just your parents' faith. It has to be your faith. And it's wonderful when your parents tell me stories about things that are going on at school where you guys are taking stands for the Lord and for His Word. It, that's exciting, isn't it? But it's hard. I don't know if she would want me to say it out loud, but Kayla took a stand for the Lord. And she got some, some real pushback at school for that. Well, why was she willing to do that? She has godly parents who are teaching speaking the Word of God and trying to have the Word of God grounded. And when you see that coming out in your kids, is there anything better than that? It's it's a lot worse. Here's the deal. Come here, Jake. The other day, um, we were cleaning up. We were having some people over to the house, and so I was having to sweep up the walk. And Jacob had several jobs to do. And Jacob walks out and says, Dad, you want me to do that? Is that way better than trying to find Him and making Him do that. That's just... That, and I thanked Him for that. That made me feel so good about that. Now that's just a work ethic and we're all trying to teach our kids a work ethic. I love watching Jay Curlis mow the grass. Kids works like crazy. I love that. I love seeing that that work ethic. And you get that from your parents. That's why Bob's so skinny. He works all the time. All right? Obviously, I have issues. But... So here, here's the deal. I want Jacob also to make decisions and act out things from Scripture, from his own personal walk with the Lord, beyond what I tell him to do. I want. We just had this discussion. um, Marvel, you know, they're going to have a Nathaniel. Which one? You know, which one is it? X Men, gay marriage, and then there's going to be a gay Green Lantern. So gay marriage in the X-Men comics and there's going to be a gay Green Lantern. And so here's the deal on those things. I want him to make the choice. Now, we, now, just so you know, we don't have those comics. We don't... That, that stuff's Christians, you stay away from that stuff. Would you all agree with that? Amen. It's just not good. Um, but I want him to make that choice. As his dad, I can lead him, but this needs to come from his heart. Is that right? Because... He loves Jesus Christ and righteousness more than he loves a hobby, which is X-Men or whatever. Right? Amen. Thanks, Jake. That's the, a that's the decision that I want Jacob to make. Um, Lydia got some T-shirts for Christmas, and she put the T-shirt on, and she came to me, and she said, Dad, is this okay? Does this fit okay? Does this look all right? Praise the Lord for that. I want, I want her to care what I think about what she wears. Amen? Amen? This is... Next Sunday, I'll tell you all the bad things they do. This is, these were good things. Um, these are decisions, godly decisions, that I want them to make as my little children. You see, I want them more. I don't want them to do things because they're afraid of me. Amen? But be afraid. But I, I, I don't want them to do things. I want them to do things because they love the Lord and they love me and their mom That's right. or their mother and I. <laughs> uh, I. I want them to have this. What is that? That's the Word of God working in them effectually. That's what spiritual leadership is. It's not getting people to do activities. It's God working in them, and then they serve Him out of a glad heart as opposed to because they have to. Amen? Amen. That's what a spiritual father does. Paul says, my little children. He would speak the word of God to them. He would desire to see the word of God work in them effectually. And he will understand the importance of not only transferring information. Go out. Test one, two. All right. Look at what it says, verse 13 again. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So here's, this is my, as, and I'm not your father, but as your spiritual leader in this place. Here, you need a battery? That's all right, I'll just stay right here. Thank you, Noah. Listen to what, what, I, what I want to accomplish. I want to engender in you belief in the Word of God. Now, your belief in the Word of God needs to come from more than me. Would you all agree with that? I'm not a pope. I'm not a, a guru. I'm just a pastor. But my heart, my passion is for you to believe this, and it will effectually work in you if you will believe it. And that's what the Apostle Paul was trying to accomplish. But not only that, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Look at verse 9. Here's what they accomplished. Look at verse 8. This is what had accomplished. Verse 8. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and in Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of venturing in we had unto you. And how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So here's what he's going to do. He, a spiritual leader is going to teach his children to turn from idols to serve the living God. Okay, now look at this. It doesn't say to believe in the living God. What's it say? Serve. So what I want to do, I want to teach my children to turn from idols. Now here, this were actually spiritual idols they were worshiping. But we have idolatry in our own world. Would you all agree with that? I want my children to turn from that and of their own volition have a desire to serve the living and the true God. To serve. So then that is also my desire for you, and this should be your desire for your children and for your brothers and sisters in Christ that we turn from the attraction of the world to actually serve the living God with our lives. That's a a volition. That's a decision. That's a choice that's made. But it has to be taught. This needs to be taught to people. Now, we're not talking about bondage. You say, wait a minute. If I'm a servant, isn't that bondage? That's what the whole sermon is about next week. The apostle goes into great detail on that. But here we're looking at this concept of having a desire to serve God. How many of you want to serve God? You say, that's, that's my desire to serve God. Amen. Amen. How are you doing with it? How are you doing with it, with your life? Then, he will teach them to wait for the return of Jesus Christ. Do you see that in verse 10? And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. What does that mean? So I'm going to serve him and I'm going to wait for him. So now here's the difference. Here's the difference. We'll go back to the analogy of cleaning the shop with my brother. Here's the idea. We can't wait to get in there, get it right, and then we can't wait for him to come see it because we did it for him. How many of you see the difference between doing it for him because we love him and doing it because he'll beat us if we don't? You know Jesus Christ is not going to beat you if you don't serve him. It got quiet. I think we feel that way. If we don't serve him, he's just going to beat us. His judgment's going to be on us. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk after the flesh, not after the spirit. He loves you. He loves you. He's going to give you every good and perfect gift comes down from heaven, from the Father of lights. He's given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He gives us and gives us and gives us and gives us. You know what he wants us to do? He wants us to love him and serve him out of a heart. Of love, That's what spiritual leadership engenders. That's what it develops. He'll teach them to wait for Christ. This teaches perspective. This teaches perspective. You know, it's real easy to get caught up in the world. It's real easy to get caught up in the world. Uh, what do you give the most of your time to? How much time do you spend in God's Word? Studying it, learning it, living it. That's what it comes from. Tonight we're going to look at what it actually means to have Christ formed in you. But the first thing that Paul does, look at what takes place. Go back to Galatians chapter 3 or Galatians chapter 4. Verse 19 again. My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. That's what it's going to take. It's going to take us being faithful to his word. Amen. And working hard to see Christ being formed in someone else. Now, I don't have time to go into it this morning. We're going to look at it tonight. This is not the same thing as Christ in you. Christ is in every believer. Amen. If any man hath not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Every saved person has the Holy Spirit of God in them. Every saved person. So what is this talking about? Christ being formed in you. It's when you're just full of Jesus Christ. It's when every decision, every attitude, every decision, everything is based on obedience to Jesus Christ. That's what it is. Has anybody arrived there yet? No. No. And here's what happens. Can, can we just all be honest for a minute? How many of you are a little guilty already from this message? you raise your hand? Anybody here? You're a little guilty? I think everybody. All of us. None of us have arrived. Amen? And I hope if you'll come back tonight, you'll get the good news. All I've done is the bad news this morning. Come back tonight for the good news. Tonight's going to be the icing. It's going to be the, the dessert. It's going to be the good stuff. But here's the deal. What is the purpose of guilt in a Christian's life? Only to turn them to the one that removes guilt. That's it. We're not to live with guilt as Christians. That, that's sin. Uh, I, I like what someone said. If you have a thought that makes you want to hurt yourself or move you away from the ministry, that's, that's from Satan. That's from your flesh. That's not from God. If you have a thought or a conviction that's turning you to Scripture that's causing you to purify your life and draw you to Jesus Christ. That's coming from the Lord. Amen? Amen. Huge difference. There's a huge difference in that. What is spiritual leadership about? My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Man, he about killed himself to get them saved, and now he's about killing himself to see them become like Christ. How about that? Uh, Ladies, how many of you have realized that the hard part started after the birth? Right, it takes years and years and years and years. It's the same thing in the spiritual world. That's why God uses that analogy. None of us have arrived. Where di- I like, you know, First John chapter two. I write into you, little children. I write into you, young men. I write into you, fathers. Different levels of spiritual growth. We have all of those levels here in this room. But you, fathers, you've not arrived yet. You, little children, you just know that Jesus Christ is your savior. Praise God! You've got so much to learn. It's awesome. You, young men, you've had some victories. Well, now you're just strong enough to start to realize that you're not strong enough. Amen? My little children. So, here's my question to you. Parents, how many of you parents would say, you know what, Pastor? You've revealed some things to me that uh, that I need to shore up in my home. I'd raise my hand. The Holy Spirit revealed some things that I need to be more careful of. How many of you would say... You were talking about serving the Lord. I wonder if the people who know me, if they were to to say the defining characteristic of my life is I serve God. I wonder if that's what they would say about you. That's a good question, isn't it? That's what they said about the people at Philippi. And I wonder this. Are you waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you do everything because he's coming back? Is your heart's desire to be to please him at his coming? That's what the people at Thessalonica were. That's what the Apostle Paul was trying to accomplish at the church at Corinth. And that's the struggle in Galatia. People are trying to do it by the works of the law. And Jesus, and, and Jesus says, I did it through my body and I give it to you. I indwell you with my Holy Spirit. Now live for me. What a, what a difference. Let's make sure that we don't leave this building today the same way that we came in. Let's leave here with a greater desire to see God's people grow in the Lord. Let's, let's leave here with a greater desire to see our young people grow in the Lord. You young people, you leave here with a greater desire to, to live for Jesus Christ and to grow in His Word. Let's, you disciplers, make sure that you have a great passion to see your disciple grow in the Lord. If you are being discipled, what kind of a disciple are you? Are you memorizing your verses? Is it a drudgery for your discipler to try and get you together? And some of you might be saying, what are you talking about with discipleship? The Bible and the Great Commission told us to go and make disciples. And we're doing that here. We have trained people to teach other people the Word of God. If you're not being discipled, if you have never been trained to teach someone else the Word of God, we want to do that for you. We're ready. We're prepared. We have people who have been trained who want to invest in you, but you have to be willing to make the commitment to do it. There are some people that say, I already know it. I don't need to be taught. Well, you don't know what we teach. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.10, I would that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. Are you willing to submit to discipleship? Are you willing to have a a spiritual authority in your life to get you grounded in the Word of God, grounded in this ministry, grounded in the work of the Lord of discipleship? Are you willing to do that? That's our plan. That's what we're trying to do. I hope that you'll get involved with that. There's a card in your pew. If you'd like to be discipled, just fill that out, and we'll get you assigned a discipler. We'll get that happening right now. But I wonder, what is your heart? Do you have a desire for that or no? Do you have a desire to get involved in ministry or no? Now we're finding out if we want to serve the living and true God in His church, a local New Testament church. That's God's plan. I hope He'll work on your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you.